Welcome to Sure Foundation Lutheran Church's podcast channel. The following sermon was preached on March 5th, 2023 on the basis of John chapter 3, verses 1 to 17. If you are a, a skeptic, you are by very nature unsure. You don't have the answers. You have the questions. Now, don't hear me wrong. I'm not hating on skeptics. Actually, skeptics are, are a great, uh, great thing because skeptics uh, are, are, tend to be people who are more open-minded about things. Uh, because they don't have the answers, they are willing to listen in pursuit of the answer, and they're willing to think through things and, and not just uh, believe somebody because they, they just said it. They're willing to think through things and get answers to those questions. They're very thoughtful. And sometimes they do get answers to those questions. They get answers to their questions that lead them down the road to understanding. And it is possible for a skeptic to not always remain a skeptic. That they might move from being unsure to being sure. Nicodemus is a skeptic. But he hadn't always been that way. In fact, uh, if you would have known Nicodemus prior to what happens in John chapter 3, you would have said he, he was the least skeptical person that you had ever met. <laughs> he was a Pharisee, and not just any Pharisee, but a Pharisee that sat on the Jewish ruling council, the, the Sanhedrin, and you didn't get put in that position uh, if you waffled in your, your religious convictions. You, you had a, a fair amount of certainty in your religious convictions if you were on the Sanhedrin. That was who Nicodemus was. And, and to be honest, he probably would have always remained that way had he not learned about Jesus. Uh, but now he was skeptical. Uh, he thought he knew the truth. He thought he knew what God wanted, but, but now he wasn't so sure. If you would ask Nicodemus what he wanted in the, the past, before this John 3, or before the, the events that just preceded John Three. If you would have asked him what God wanted in the past, he would have answered with a lot of confidence. He would have said, uh, read the Torah, follow the Torah, the, the teachings of Moses, uh, obey the law and live a good life. He would have said it without hesitation and with all confidence in his voice. But if you were to ask him now uh, what, Jesus wa- or what God wanted, uh, his answer would be quite a bit uh, more shaky. <laughs> he wouldn't have quite as much confidence, and that's all because of of Jesus coming on the scene. Uh, you, you see, Jesus uh, was, was gaining a lot of popularity at this point. It doesn't seem like he, he had a one-on-one conversation with Nicodemus before what we see in John chapter 3, but Nicodemus undoubtedly heard about Jesus because he was gaining so much popularity. And maybe Nicodemus was even in the crowd as, as a miracle was happening or as Jesus was, was preaching. He had been exposed to Jesus in some manner, and this caused him to start questioning things, questioning all of his previously held convictions. That's kind of a a very vulnerable place to be in, isn't it? If you held religious convictions for your entire life, and it seems like Nicodemus is an old man by this point, uh, and now he's, he's learning that they may or may not be true, maybe you could appreciate how jarring that must have been for Nicodemus. So, he arranges a meeting with, with this great teacher in the middle of the night, and he comes to Jesus under the cover of night to ask him a bunch of questions. But 
these weren't questions like Pharisees normally ask Jesus. If you read through the Gospels, you'll, you'll find that the Pharisees come and ask Jesus questions quite a bit, but there's a different intent behind those questions. They're trying to trap Jesus. They're trying to get him to say something that uh, would incriminate him so that they could uh, punish him in some way, put him in jail, put him to death, something like that. But Nicodemus is coming with a, a different intent. Nicodemus seems to have a, a humble heart here, a sincere heart. He has genuine questions that he wants answered from Jesus. And you can see that from his very address to Jesus at the beginning. He, he calls him rabbi. It was a term of respect. Rabbi meant teacher. And so Nicodemus, who was the great teacher of Israel, a great Pharisee on the Sanhedrin at this time, he's approaching this Jesus and calling him rabbi. He is slipping into the role of, of the student here. And so he goes on. He says, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. Now, he says we, right? So he's coming by himself, but he says we. Uh, there, there must be more than just Nicodemus who, have, I, who has identified that Jesus is someone special. He's someone who has come from God. Maybe on the level of Elijah or Elisha, the great prophets of the Old Testament, because he is doing things that, that no one could do if God was not with them. This, the things that he was doing was impossible, these great miracles that they were, were seeing. And Jesus responds to that. Did, did you kind of catch his response and, and how it was Maybe not what you would expect. Nicodemus says what he just said, and then Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Now, I want you to picture that you had that same opportunity that Nicodemus had. That you got to go talk to Jesus and you got to ask him a bunch of questions. Do you, do you think if you knew you were having that meeting that you'd, you'd write a list out? Uh, of all the questions that you've wanted to ask Jesus, maybe ones that have, have come up as you've read the Bible over the years, uh, questions that he, he didn't answer, um, maybe ones about your personal life, like why did this happen here? Well, why, why am I going through this at this point? Um, what was the purpose of, of that? You'd have your list of questions probably, maybe if you didn't write it out, you'd have it up here, and you'd be ready to get some answers, right? But you know what, what would probably happen if that was set up for you? Jesus would probably do what he, he almost always does in situations like that. He would probably uh, kind of skip over some of your questions and start talking about what was really important. And it's not because he doesn't care about you. It's not because he doesn't care about your questions. But he, he wants to answer the, the questions that you probably really should have asked. And that's what he seems to be doing to, to Nicodemus here. Nicodemus doesn't even get the chance to ask a question, right? All he said was, we know that you're a teacher uh, who has come from God, for no one could do these things if God was not with him. And Jesus jumps right into talking about the kingdom of God. Uh, Jesus could have, he could have stopped a second and just kind of said, um, you know, here's, here's why I did these miracles, or here how, here's how I have the power to do these miracles. He could have stopped and laid out a, a, a wonderful doctrinal treatise on, on the two natures of Christ here, but there was something way more important than that in this moment. And for Jesus, that was Nicodemus's soul. He wanted Nicodemus to be within the, the kingdom of, of God, and so he starts with a universal truth. He says, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. No one. Not one person comes into the world being able to see this kingdom of God because everybody is born deficient. 
devoid of anything good, anything that, that pleases God, because as Jesus went on to say just a few verses later, flesh gives birth to flesh. Sinful flesh gives birth to sinful flesh. A harsh reality that Jesus is laying out here on, on Nicodemus. Uh, he's saying that it is impossible for two sinful parents to produce a child that is anything uh, but sinful. We are born deficient, we are born devoid, and we are born not deserving of, of anything. And we all need to know those truths. We need to know these universal truths because that's true for everyone. Every person that has ever been born into this world uh, is deficient and devoid, de deserving only wrath and punishment. We don't naturally think that way. It, it, you probably know that already. You've probably, you've probably heard that once or twice here. But for Nicodemus... That was jarring. Nicodemus is an old man at this point, and, and this must have rattled him in some ways because uh, he had spent his whole life believing one thing, right? He had spent his whole life believing that he was good with God, that he was good with God on the basis of the law. And Jesus is telling him, actually, if you go all the way back to when you were born, you weren't. Even from that point, there was never a point in your life where you were good, this is shaking Nicodemus up a little bit because he probably would have thought that he was in the kingdom of God. If God was looking at him, he would see a good person, and so he's automatically in, right? Yet now he's learning that he didn't know what he thought he knew, and he's learning that he may be outside of the kingdom of God. And that's a scary, scary thing for Nicodemus. So Jesus goes on. And he doesn't tell him, okay, Nicodemus, you just got to be more obedient. You got to obey those laws a little bit better, or read the Torah a little more carefully. He says, you must be born again. <laughs> you see, because it was your first birth that caused you that problem, right? Your first birth was, was the, the, the moment when sin was passed on to you from your, your parents. When you inherited this sin that has infected mankind since the, the fall of, of Adam and Eve has ravaged souls, uh, you need a, a second birth because that first birth brought death. You need to be born of water and the spirit because if flesh gives birth to flesh, well, then it stands to reason that spirit gives birth to spirit. Now, maybe your head's spinning by this point, but Nicodemus's was certainly spinning by this point. Uh, this is a man who is obviously seeking. He, he's seeking after something. There's something that God has started in his heart that it hasn't quite come to fruition yet. He's seeking, but he hasn't quite found yet. He's trying to listen. He's trying to hear, but he doesn't have the ears of faith to hear. He's trying to see, but he doesn't have the lens of faith through which to see. So Jesus is going to keep everything pretty simple for Nicodemus here. And he's going to call Nicodemus back to remember a period of Israel's history that would have been top of, of Nicodemus's mind. As soon as he said it, Nicodemus probably could have told the story himself. The story of the, the bronze snake. Maybe some of you remember it too. The Israelites had just been rescued from uh, the Egyptians by God. He had delivered them in this amazing show of, of God's strength. The ten plagues in Egypt and splitting the Red Sea in two. And now the Israelites are out wandering in the desert. And surprise, surprise, the Israelites are complaining. They grumble and complain to God. And, and as a punishment... God sends poisonous snakes into the camp and the, the snakes start biting people. 
And once the people realize that this was a punishment from God, they cry out to him for mercy. They cry out to him to save him. So, so God has mercy and he, said, he provides a way for them to be saved. He has Moses and Aaron construct this bronze snake, put this bronze snake on top of a pole and lift it up where everyone in the camp can see it. So it, it was as simple as this. If someone was bitten by one of those poisonous snakes, all they had to do was look at the bronze snake and they would be healed. Simple as that. Look and be healed. Jesus, for Nicodemus here, is making a connection that this bronze snake was pointing ahead to the Son of Man. The Son of Man who would be lifted up on a cross for people to see too. The, the Son of Man who would crush the head of the serpent that, that tempted Adam and Eve to bring sin into the world. Kind of ironic, huh? He makes the connection here. He says, Just as Moses lifted up the snake into the wilderness, the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. The equation is super simple. Look and believe. Look, believe in Jesus, and you will be saved. If every single person is born deficient and devoid and outside of the kingdom of God, if every person is born deserving of God's wrath and punishment, if that's the universal problem for the world, God loved everyone so much that he provided a universal solution. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. It was his love, and his love is big. It was his love for the world that moved him to act. It was his love that was so big that he was willing to give up his only son to do this, to save. That was the purpose for which Jesus came. He said in verse 17, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. The son would be sacrificed, lifted up, so the whole world would be saved. And he says this, to, to put an end to any questions, to quell any sort of uh, skepticism here because he wants you to be sure. You never have to wonder if Jesus died on the cross for you. You never have to think, well, Jesus died on the cross, but it was for that person. Because Jesus said, uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. If you are a part of the world, and guess what? If you're sitting here, you are, then Jesus died for you and you can be certain of that. There's some things in life that, that God doesn't want you to be skeptical about and, and that's one of them. And he goes to even further lengths to make sure that you're not skeptical. Because uh, you might think, okay, and Jesus died on the cross for the sins of the world. That includes me. But, but how do I know that I have faith? How do I know that I believe? How do I know that I'm inside the kingdom of God? You know, God thought of that too. If you are born of water and the Spirit, you are inside the kingdom of God. If you are born of water and the Spirit, if you've been baptized, you've been given faith. You know, God didn't have to give us that sacrament. He didn't have to give us baptism. Uh, this very simple act, putting water over the head in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He didn't have to give us that, but, but he wanted to. He wanted to so that you would be Sure, so that you would have this concrete, tangible thing to look back on and say, look what God did for me there. 
Look what he made me there. He made me his own child. He brought me into his kingdom. He gave me faith. He gave me the gift of the Holy Spirit. I am saved and I can be sure because I have that to look back on. Because Jesus died on the cross for my sins. You know, in this encounter, Jesus or Nicodemus likely walked away with more questions. He came with questions. He left with maybe a few more. But God had started something in Nicodemus's heart. And over, over a period of time, God would work on Nicodemus's heart through the power of the Holy Spirit. And we see, actually, Nicodemus show up a couple more times in the gospel. He shows up in John chapter 7, and this time he's not hiding under the cover of night anymore. This time he's defending Jesus to uh, his Pharisee buddies. And then we see him one more time. Uh, towards the end of John's gospel, Nicodemus is one of the, the men who is taking the Savior off of the cross after he died. And he goes and he, he buries them with, along with Joseph of Arimathea there. The Son of Man was lifted up on the cross and Nicodemus was there to, to take him down. Nicodemus had quite the journey. Uh, his, his faith didn't come to him like that. Everything didn't happen like that. But God worked in his heart through the power of the, the Holy Spirit and, and through that working of the Holy Spirit, Nicodemus knew who Jesus was, he knew what Jesus came to do, and he knew that it was for him. You might have your laundry list of questions that you'd love to ask Jesus. Um, wouldn't it be great to be able to ask those? Right? Chances are, a lot of those questions that are on your list, they won't get answered um, in this life, but Jesus has answered the most important ones. He's answered the ones that eternally matter. He died on the cross for the sins of the world, which means he died on the cross for you. You are saved, and through baptism, he has called you his own. And that's what certainty looks like. Amen. Hi, Pastor Wilkie here. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. It's always great to grow in God's word together. Could I issue you a challenge for this week? Could you invite someone else to listen to this? Uh, these days in the 21st century, it's pretty easy uh, to invite somebody just to, to listen to a sermon. It's very non-threatening. So please take this challenge and see if you might just be able to get one more person to hear about Jesus' love for them. And we hope you'll tune in next week for another sermon from God's Word.